Because most of those photos, I knew my body fat was so low that it was dangerous. And, and, and how I got there had nothing to do with health. It was the least healthy I ever was in my life. And I felt, and I still to this day feel that we, we look at people's physiques and we say, hashtag goals, I want to look like that. But we don't know if they're healthy. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's guest is Shaleen Johnson. Shaleen is a lifestyle and business expert, a motivational speaker, and you might have heard of her podcast, well, her two top-ranked podcasts, The Shaleen Show and Build Your Tribe, which have about one and a half million monthly downloads. She's one of the Huffington Post's top 50 female entrepreneurs to watch million Facebook followers and 600,000 Instagram followers. And that's kind of interesting, but there's all sorts of Instagram celebrities. This is, in case you're wondering, this is not the cash me outside uh, kind of <laughs> Instagram celebrity. This is the real deal because it's not Instagram at all. It comes from years and years of being one of the top names. I'm talking Guinness Book of World's Records, uh, top names, in uh, fitness videos and fitness training courses and, and things like that. And what's interesting and what's uh, the reason we're doing this interview today is that after many years of this, uh, Shaleen decided, you know, you can look good and be unhealthy and this is a problem. So we're going to talk about that today. Shaleen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Now, you just came out with a new concept, which I think maybe angered some of your followers. Yeah. Uh, called the 131 method. And why did you make the change from sort of exercise all the time to something else? Well, uh, as I say, when we know better, we do better. Um, mm. I ended up in fitness kind of quite by accident. It wasn't my intention. I've always kind of been an entrepreneur, someone who takes a problem I'm having and then, you know, challenges myself to figure it out. And for me, I figured out 
a way to enjoy fitness. Mm-hmm. I was really successful in fitness, but I always say not because of my knowledge of health and fitness, but because of my you know, understanding of the people I'm helping. So when I ended up in fitness, quite by accident, there was a big part of me that felt like an imposter, you know? Like, I, I, I better say what yeah. everyone else is saying. I've heard this from other uh, fitness experts, where you sort of have to say the same thing as the other people, otherwise you're disruptive, you're the bad one, you're wrong. Yeah. And so you were sort of going through mainstream, but weren't yeah. you getting results from that? Sure, if you're looking at, you know, physique, right? And and so really that's what I I knew from being told that, that's what's marketable. Like get as lean as possible, um, look a certain way. And in order to do that, here's what we're all kind of, we're all saying, not like we had a big meeting, but you know, you just tend to hear like, well, this person has more credibility. This person has uh, been in the industry longer. This is what they're saying. Therefore, you know, what, what, who am I to question that? And I didn't question that. I, and I should have, you know, I'm a really curious person. I'm skeptical, but when it came to health and fitness, I, I wasn't as curious or as skeptical as I should have been. And as a result, I ended up, you know, damaging my own health. That's a, a pretty big thing. I mean, you, you went so far as to remove photos of yourself from social media if they had too much skin or sculpted abs. Like that, that's kind of a big deal yeah. for someone who makes a living off of fitness. Yeah. Why did you do that? Because most of those photos, I knew my body fat was so low that it was dangerous. And, wow. and, and how I got there had nothing to do with health. It was the least healthy I ever was in my life. And I felt, and I still to this day feel that we, we look at people's physiques and we say, hashtag goals, I want to look like that. But we don't know if they're healthy. But you, you don't want to feel like that is the problem. Um, yeah. So here's a little uh, humble brag. Uh, so I'm a former 300 pound computer hacker, right? The most unlikely thing ever to happen in my life was to be in men's health and to be in men's health with my shirt off. And you and I both know what people do when they're going to be in a shirts off men's health photo. Yeah. You have three days of fasting, you know, cut the salt, take some, yeah, yeah. Take some diuretics and right. you're like super lean and ripped. Well, I didn't get the memo that that they were going to come in and do a shirts off thing. And if so, I wouldn't have done all that crap anyway. Uh, So in the middle of this photo shoot around all this upgrade lab stuff, like, okay, take your shirt off and stand in this machine. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I I didn't prep for this. Even without diuretics, I could have fasted for a day or something. Yeah. And like, no, trust us. We'll just give it a shot. So I'm like, all right, I'll just do it and whatever. But, uh, you know, I apparently had enough abs to pull it (laughs) off. But I just remember thinking, I know, you know, the Wolverine look. Yeah, you know the the look, and it's totally the look of a starved animal, right? And, and it's like a tough, lean. Okay, like wow, that's impressive. But I don't think I could maintain looking that way mm. for very long, and I wouldn't mm. want to because I feel like crap. Like my brain mm. would turn off. That's right. Um, so I, and I, especially so for women. Like, oh yeah, it's even worse. Certainly, there are people genetically speaking who they they you're going to see their abs when they're at eighteen, even nineteen, maybe even twenty percent body fat. Mm-hmm. Some women. But for me personally, based on my genetics, you're not seeing my abs unless I'm below 12%, 13%, really. As a woman, that's really shockingly low. But for most women to get to a place where you're seeing a six pack, you know, seeing that like, Mm -hmm. because we're comparing ourselves to elite fitness competitors, right? right? And in order to get that low, you're going to have amenorrhea, you're going to lose your your period, you're going to mess up your hormones. That's when brain fog sets in. It's just... 
And that's not even taking into consideration what are you doing to get there? So there's a lot of harmful things. Uh, and I, I actually did some of this when I weighed 300 pounds. I was desperate to lose the weight. Mm -hmm. So I did an hour and a half of exercise, six days a week, half weight, half cardio, went on a low fat, low calorie diet and decided after all that time, I still weighed 300 pounds, but I could max out all the machines. And I thought clearly it's because I'm eating too much lettuce. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's my fault. And I, I maybe, maybe that's more common that that line of thinking is more common in women than in men. But I'm, I'm like, I'm a capable guy and I don't wanna have any more knee surgeries. And it's my most important thing is to lose this weight. And after a while, you just feel like you're a total failure. Mm -hmm. So when you were a fitness model though, or not necessarily model, but you're training people to do that, mm -hmm. and you did get your body weight that low, it actually worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so didn't you have this sort of feeling like, yay, I triumphed over my body fat, like I won? I didn't because I knew what it took to get there. So so for me, my body fat, you know, I had, you could see my abs, I was happy and I was content. I never had any body issues. Um, growing up, my mom never dieted in front of us. She never put her body down. She never said, oh, I hate this and grabbed a, you know, so I had a really positive body image until I started getting into consumer videos. And even still, I had a really, I mean, that was kind of who I was, like the girl who looked more normal than what most fitness folks look like. And I was really happy with how low my body fat was. And I was going to film a new project and I got, uh, my husband actually got the phone call from the producer who said, you know, we kind of like you to have a conversation with Shalene about getting leaner, like really getting ripped for this project, like get her body fat low because you know it, it's going to help make it more marketable. And um, that was embarrassing and devastating and it, of course, you know, it stirred up all of my like imposter mm. feelings. Like I, I'm, I'm not lean enough to be here in this position. And I didn't know what to do because at that point, Dave, I was already, I'd already messed up my metabolism. I was already, mm. you know, you, you start exercising and eating less because you want to get leaner. And then the less you eat, the more you have to exercise. And the more you're exercising, the slower your metabolism is getting. So when I got that phone call, I was already working out a minimum of two hours a day. Good God. And very, very low caloric intake, very, very little fat. You know, sustaining myself on um, crap protein bars, crap protein drinks, and anything I could find that was low cal and zero fat. You know, wow. like sugar-free jello and just horrible things because it was like, well, it would make me feel full. And so when I got that phone call, I just started crying. Wow. And thought, how do I go lower? And the only thing I knew to do was, I guess, exercise more. Cause like, you know, it's like, what, what do I do? So I, I really started exercising like three, sometimes four hours a day. And I got all the way down to like 11% body fat. Yeah. And I remember showing up to film and uh, a cameraman, I haven't mentioned this before publicly, but a cameraman uh, whispered to me like, D don't worry, we we can shoot around your trouble spots. And I remember thinking, Did you just what? punch him? I was like, he, you know, he gave me this wink like, you know, I got your back and I just was like, I wanted to just die. Did like, you think you had trouble spots? 
No, I was really pissed off. I did want to get up and like punch him in the throat. Because you're like, what trouble spots, you know? But then you just start getting your head. You're like, well, I guess I must have trouble spots. Like, wow. And how do I get rid of them if I'm as, if I feel like I'm going to die based on what I had to do to get here? Was this guy doing that to be kind or was he just some kind of misogynist? I think you. He's in the industry too. Like that's that. In fact, that cameraman I've worked with him for a okay. million videos. So he was he was really trying to be helpful. Like, yep. like it was because yep. so he assumed that you just yeah. had some deep insecurities about these things that he. I helped guess out you know, and I also remember hearing things like you know we know you've had two kids and so you know we'll shoot around your skin. It's like wow. oh oh okay like so messed up. Like yeah. yeah, we certainly don't want we don't want the public to know that you're going to have loose skin after a baby like crazy just unrealistic you know i delivered both my own kids and it's amazing how stretchy the skin on a woman's (laughs) stomach actually is and in other areas too and (laughs) if it doesn't quite come back the same way afterwards well man if you saw how stretched a pregnant belly is all right that's fine it's normal right yeah okay yeah yeah so so it was pretty i didn't feel happy about getting there i also knew there's no way I'm staying, I, I can't stay, I can't maintain this. Yeah, it, it'll actually kill you. And even professional competitors, you know, they dip in, they look really good, and then they go off season and eat some carbs already, right? Yeah. Or some fat or whatever, yeah. or whatever they're lacking. So what happens when you have all these followers and all the pictures of your abs and various other curvy bits, and uh, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm changing things one through one method. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of coming clean about this. Yeah. What did yeah. your followers do? Well, some of them were relieved and said, thank you. Um, in fact, I got a message this week from a gal who said, you know, I, I'm not blaming you, but I watched you in those videos and I ha- felt I had to exercise longer. And you were saying that we could do this in 30 minutes a day and it wasn't working for me. So then I was doing it at night after my parents went to bed and I was doing it after meals and I was became obsessed with it. And then I, and I still wasn't getting great results. So then I stopped eating and, and I became anorexic and bulimic. And, and Shalene, I've been with you along this journey. When you came clean, that was a relief for me to understand, oh, that wasn't health. And she, you know, she said, I've been following you now on this journey to teach us about nutrition in our bodies and what it truly means to be healthy inside out. And um, I'm, I'm six months recovered. You know, it's, it's still a battle, but to me, it I just bawled my eyes out when I heard that because to think that I had that kind of a, you know, you want to help people, but to think that I had that kind of a negative impact on young women was hard because I know I have a response. When you have a platform, you have a responsibility mm-hmm. and I didn't own up to it. I didn't, I didn't take it as seriously as I should have, my responsibility. I didn't look into research. I didn't ask, is this safe? I didn't think about what people would be seeing and the message it would be sending. And my own health scare really rocked my world and made me realize this is just a gift and I have to take it much more seriously. Tell me more about your health scare. Well, as a podcaster, I, um, I had Dr. Eamon on my show and we were talking about attention deficit disorder mm-hmm. and, uh, I was laughing. I've never been diagnosed with it. And, you know, so after we hung up, he said, let me ask you a few questions. He asked me a few questions. He said, I want you to come in and, and have your brain scanned. That's such a powerful thing to do. He's been on the show so many times I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. Okay. So what happened in your brain scan? Well, I was excited. I'm like, oh, they're going to see a brain they've never seen before. There's going to be all these beautiful colors and they're going to be like 
everybody rush in. We've got a genius, right? And it didn't go like that uh, <laughs> at all. Um, in fact, during the concentration part, I just, I mean, all of the testing, you, you know, because you've done it, yeah. um, was really interesting. But I knew I was in over my head. Like, I felt like all of my, everything I was trying to cover up were being exposed. And when he looked at my scan, yeah. he just said, listen, I know who you are. And I know what you do, um, but you're not healthy. Yeah. And you need to take action immediately. And uh, I sat there at first thinking, he's reading someone else's, res like, do you know who I am? Like, do you know what I do? How is this that possible? invincible thing, right? Yeah. And he said, um, you know, do you have a history of, of drug use? No. Have you recently done chemotherapy? No. Okay. Because obviously I had concussions. Mm -hmm. uh, but in addition to that, there was this toxicity in my brain um, that was all the result of lifestyle. Yeah. And to think that I am, I have tens of millions of people who have done my workout videos who are looking at me as the person who's going to help them with their health. And I'm sitting there in his office with a failing health score. What does that mean I've done to everyone else whose trust I held in my hands? What does that mean for my kids? Like to think that I'm on the fast path for Alzheimer's and that I, I've done this to my brain mm -hmm. and my kids are going to have to take care of my hygiene. They're going to lose. I just was, I was so pissed at myself. I was so upset. And in that moment, I didn't care what anyone else was going to say. I, I, and I went to the people whose trust I had and said, I've messed up and I'm going to figure this out. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what health is, but I will figure it out. And I'll take you along with me on this journey. Um, I'm not going to be the expert, but I'm going to find them all. I'm going to find them all. And this won't be my plan. This will be us figuring out what you need to do, what each of us needs to do individually to get healthy. So you got generally good response from your followers. What about your your tribe yeah. of you know industry experts i mean it, it's a small group and sure. I, I i know many of of probably similar uh, people as you do yeah. and there's different there's like the functional medicine tribe and there's the celebrity fitness tribe yeah like they're we're all out there and we overlap yeah i mean did you get people who are just like don't tell anyone or, or people oh, who are sure. kind of pissed oh, yeah. about it what what happened there for sure yeah I got a lot of people who thought that I was blaming a company or blaming a producer or blaming, you know, like a cameraman. And, and I also, and which I, I wasn't, you know, I, I certainly made every decision. No one told me to overexercise. No one told me to stop eating. They asked me to get lean. Uh, no one made me do these things. I did it. No one said, don't do the research. I was the person who decided not to. So I got backlash from there, like executive level. And then I got a lot of backlash from people who are in the fitness industry who thought that I was being judgmental or um, calling what they were doing <laughs> unhealthy, which, you know, a lot of it is. I was going to say, weren't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot yeah. of it is. But, you know, when people, there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of money to be made in weight loss, a lot. And um, when you mess with, when, when people fear that they have that scarcity mindset, um, it, it's it just fear sets in and, and it can get ugly. Oh, it, it certainly can. Uh, doing the thing with, you know, oh, oh my God, maybe some saturated fat might help your brain. Uh, that whole 
discussion, discourse over the last eight years of Bulletproof, finally, you have to call people out. And when Steve Jobs passed away, I did all this research. I know exactly whose diet he'd been on for a long time. Wow. And I wrote a blog post about it. And I called out a leader in the non-fat movement who has harmed more brains and, and hormones than almost anyone else I know who's mm. in the pocket of uh, of the big food industry that's selling corn syrup and diet whatevers. Uh, I called him out. I'm like, you killed Steve Jobs 10 years before he needed to die. And uh, he, I did not know that. He didn't want to come on my show to talk about it. I don't know why. <laughs> But the bottom line is there's huge money to be made in the diet lie and in the exercise lie. That's right. Right. And it's, it's a little bit risky to go out there. Uh, I kind of wish that I would have had the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I went so far as to say, tell you what, I'll just moderate. I'll get someone else in to debate you. Like, like I just like, let's put the facts out here. Still uh, nothing. Uh, of course not. Yeah. Um, yeah. The corporate endorsements, you want to put those at risk? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it is a risk, right? Yeah. I mean, like even for me, I um, I have a number one fitness infomercial on TV right now. Yeah, you're super famous. Well, thanks. I don't know about that. But um, I, I had to make a decision. Like, so when you're on the top is when you get all the offers, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's hard. It's hard from an ego standpoint. And it's hard sometimes um, knowing that I might be set, like the perception might be confusing. Like, so mm -hmm. are you this or are you that? And I'm all those things, but I am evolved and I have to have to keep my integrity. And that's not always easy. But if you if you just stay focused on what you know and what's what you believe is right and you just keep taking the next right step those decisions get a little easier, but not everybody understands, you know? You know, being authentic is really important. And there are lots of people who make plenty of money by being inauthentic, mm -hmm. but their customers usually know it. And when you're really authentic, the kind of customers you get are the kind you send you that letter, the one that you got earlier. Yeah. And the real... Uh, the technical term is asshole customers. Uh, <laughs> they tend to go to your competitors yeah. and like, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. Do people really know when the person who they've placed all their faith in is being inauthentic? Cause I see people selling this crap because I know they've got big social media followings and they're pretending to drink the stuff or eat the stuff or use this product. And I know they're not. And I'm like, how does anyone, she's got veneers. She's not using that tooth whitening tray, you know, like all these things. You know, there's always going to be endorsements that are, you know, just for money and things like that, you know, corporate celebrity sponsorships. And that's a tried and true thing since the beginning of the PR and publicity industry, which is post-World War II that started around 1950. Um, in fact, completely side thing that started with a guy um, who uh, was related to Sigmund Freud and came over to the US and he said, well, we can't use the word propaganda because the Nazis ruined that word, let's use public relations. And this is the guy who got women to start smoking. Oh. He, he branded cigarettes as torches of freedom for women's liberation and in one year, 10% of women smoked went up to 50% of women smoked because of one PR action. Wow. So these are, that's the kind of thinking that's behind these endorsements, it's manipulation of broad groups of people. And yes, you can do that. But when you're building a personal brand like yours, Shalene, or you know, like mine, 
I really think that there are people that are watching and they listen to every word you say and listen to how you say it. Mm -hmm. And some people are easy to fool and they'll be taken in by anybody. Mm -hmm. And there's a great number of people who have learned to have discernment and they just figured out like, do I believe this person or not? Mm -hmm. And are they consistent? And do they know mm -hmm. what they're talking about? And do they live their values? And do I find gaps? And my experience has been that, you know, engagement with people like that is much higher and, and I get hundreds of messages more than I can respond to every day saying, you know, this stuff worked and you do too. I, I know yeah. you do, yeah. but I, I just fundamentally think people are not as dumb as we've thought they are. Agreed. And that means they're going to notice and it might take them a while. And when they do the, the fall can be hard and some people never fall, but I also believe in business karma and regular karma. So, <laughs> you know, if it doesn't bite you in this life, it'll bite you in the next one. Right. Yeah, it's true. Okay. It's got to be rewarding. And do you, you, you seem like you're agreeing with that. I mean, do you think that people can sniff that out or do you just think that there's enough, you know, suckers born every minute sort of I, thing? You know, I want to believe, I, I feel like the people who I'm speaking to, the people who hear me really have a strong in tune bullshit meter, mm -hmm. you know, and I love those people. Um, and it's discouraging though, when you see people like fall for stuff that just, I'm like, you seem so much smarter than that. Like pay attention. You're, I think people do. I'd love to think that we're, I know we're smarter than that, but I do think fame warps people's perception of integrity, you know, because this yeah. person has a million followers, they must know what they're doing because all these people, you know, numbers attract numbers and it just provides instant credibility for so many. Oh, there's no doubt that one of the recipes for creating influence is, you know, social credibility and you know, lots of people are commending you and things like that. We're wired that way as humans. I don't think that's going to change. True. Uh, but you can't abuse that. There's no doubt. And my perspective on this, and I want to see if this if this checks in with you, is that if you're going to use a million hours of people's time with your content, how many human lifetimes is that? Mm. It's several. I, don't know, I did yeah. the math once. <laughs> um, and based on total downloads, this is going back when the show was much smaller than it is now, I'd either done something good or I'd killed 60 people because I'd used 60 full lifetimes wow. of content consumed. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to look at it. And you're like, wow, this is kind of, you, you hit this earlier, so made me think of it, it's kind of a moral obligation. You better be right if you're reaching millions of people. And mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. your credit, and the thing that spells authenticity more than anything else is you said, oh, this didn't do what I thought it was going to do. I looked one way, but my health was not okay. Right. So you evolved what you were saying. Yeah. And that's the highest, you know, the highest thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you had said along the way, oh, I know this is all bullshit and I'm just going to sell it anyway. That's a completely different thing. That's sociopathic mm -hmm. behavior. And there's internet marketers all over the place who are there sociopaths. Are. That's right. Um, I was at a conference every now and then I go to internet marketing conferences and I give a talk about basically you can't be a dirtbag and do this. I mean, I'd like to make internet marketers cry. It's actually, <laughs> I, I've done it. It makes me happy. But what uh, what I heard two guys saying when they didn't know I was kind of in the room behind them is is they're recording a little video on their phone. Oh, I do this because I like to make a difference. You know the the standard you know mission driven thing. Mm -hmm. and, and then they stop recording. Like ha, 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 I can't believe they're going to believe that. Like they knew they were lying. Yeah. Right. And that stuff just pisses me off. But I think people figure that out eventually. I do too. Right? Okay. You know, one thing that was really um, important for me, and, and I wrote it in the book is that I will never say this is the only way or the best way. Yeah. I will always preface it from this point forward with this is the best so far. This is what, what we believe today. Um, because I realize I have to be really open-minded now to science and open-minded to 
the fact that we're, we just are learning so much more every single day and it's exciting. And the worst thing that we can do is be dogmatic about these things. Like, yeah. to, you know, just put a stake in the ground and say, this is the, the answer. And people want one simple answer. They want it to be simple. They want nutrition to be simple. They want health to be simple. And it's not, it's not just exercise. It's, it's not just exercise and nutrition. It's yeah. so much more. The idea that you can exercise off the Snickers bar or earn a potato chip on the treadmill. Yeah. It's just garbage science. It doesn't work. Yeah. But man, I sure believe that it did when I was fat. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. I mean, I did too. In your one, three, one method, this, this new, uh, take on everything, I would say, you talk about four S's and you have more practice than most humans at taking complex things and teaching them to people and then causing them to take action. Mm -hmm. So I want you to walk the Bulletproof Radio audience through the four S's and why you chose these to help people from all walks of life yeah. understand what you're doing. Well, I chose them. I'll start with that part of the question because you can take the smartest individual. They can be an engineer, a doctor, lawyer, you know, scientist. But when it comes to nutrition, I kept hearing the same thing over and over and over again. Like, tell me what to eat. Mm -hmm. Tell me what to exercise. What do I need to do? Can I, crazy how much our customer service got overwhelmed with people calling saying, can I eat fill in the blank? Yeah. Can I drink water? Like just crazy, ridiculous, um, non-common sense questions, right? And- <laughs> I just realized like people want permission. So if we could just give them a formula to come up with the answer themselves. Yeah. You know, and, and so then then you know the answer because what my opinion doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And and someone else's opinion doesn't matter. So you've got to take these things into consideration and you'll have the right then then you know the answer that's right for you because we're also individualistic. Okay. And the four S's you had were science, self, success, and sanity. And it sounds like you're yeah. just talking about the self one. Yeah. Like it has to work for you. Um, what is the success part of your four S's? What yeah. does that mean? So that means you defining what, what does it mean for you to be successful with your health? Because you know what? If you're at a stage in your life where it is about being as lean as possible, then then you have to look at what you're doing and will that help you reach success? But are you willing to make those sacrifices? And and before you say yes, consider your sanity. Is that going to drive you crazy? Is that going to drive your spouse crazy? Because if it's going to drive your spouse crazy and it's going to drive a wedge in your relationship, is that success, right? Like if your relationships are suffering and the impact that'll have on your health. So all yeah. of these things have to be factored in. So can you have a piece of chocolate cake, you know, that you buy from the grocery store that's just garbage? And look at those questions and are, is it appropriate for you? Can you, is it going to impact the success that you're after this one piece of cake? Like, is, is it not that big of a deal? And for everybody, it's different, right? Like it's understanding that there are, is no yes or no. It's just the, the answer is it depends. Right. And just being open to that is, is particularly important. And I deal with that with my kids. I mean, my son Alan was just running in here and we're doing a live interview in person, which is always uh, way more fun. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, well, daddy, you know, can I have this? The answer is always, you can. Uh, but one of the things that made me really happy is uh, I said, they, they food shamed our housekeeper uh, because she went to McDonald's and they're like, we don't need a McDonald's. 
and uh, they were in the drive through uh-huh. and they're like, oh my God, like there's such a thing as a drive through Can you believe it? You talk to a little voice. <laughs> they're, blo- they're like five years old or something, blown away. And so afterwards I said, all right, kids, here's the deal. People eat what they're going to eat. And sometimes they do it to save money. Sometimes it's convenient. And sometimes just because it tastes good and it's mm-hmm. all okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take you to McDonald's and inside I'm going, oh, this is terrible. I don't want to eat that stuff. I'm going to feel like crap for a week. Um, but look, you guys are going to get fried pies and you're going to get ice cream and toys and you can go play. And you did that. I, I said, yeah, sure. This is great. So come on guys, let, let's go. And, and they're like, no. And I said, what do you mean? No, you're going to get toys. It's, it's totally worth it. These are, they're five and seven. And they said, daddy, we know how we feel when we eat food. That's not good for us. We don't like it when our tummy hurts. We don't, we don't want to feel that way. Yeah. You can take us there, but you can't make us eat. Oh my gosh, this is great. And every parent needs to hear this. But you know what's so important there? Because my kids are older than yours. They're now 22 and 19. But they, we never gave them food rules, right? And yeah. and as I started going through this and they were in high school, I, I didn't tell them what they could and couldn't eat, but I helped share what I was learning, mm-hmm. you know, and let them make that decision. And I think that oftentimes parents, um, you know, they can go one way or the other. Like yeah. they're eating healthy, but they're letting their kids live off of crap and, and they know it's garbage. So I don't, and you're buying the groceries. So I don't understand that. I don't understand why you're buying poison right. for your kids. If I, this is going to sound really bad, but if I was in a situation and people don't know, this, I, I put auto parts in boxes for five years to help pay for my college. Like I've, I've definitely lived on ramen and microwave pizza for longer than I should have when I was younger. Um, but if I was in a situation with kids and only one of us could eat off the adult menu, it would be my kids. I would eat the crappy chicken fingers and mac and cheese for three bucks, but I'd really rather not put that on my body either, but I wouldn't give it to my kids. Isn't that crazy though that parents do that? They're like, you know, they eat separately than their children because they know, well, I wouldn't eat that because, well, it's it's garbage. Like I would never dream of eating that, but you're feeding to your children. But then there's also the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Like the parents who um, just will freak out if their kid has sugar and then they they tend to binge they go to their friends houses and they go crazy they're sneaking food they're hiding food so i think the personally you know and every parent is going to parent their kid the right way or their way i should say but i think for us anyways it worked best to just educate them and to help them make the right decision because eventually they're going to be outside of my care and outside oh, of yeah. my control and i need them to make good decisions and be good people Exactly. And if they eat some gluten, I mean, I tell my kids, you don't want to do this. Uh, and around gluten, we're, we're pretty good because they know that it's not really good for them. And my son, he has the same gene I do for nightshades, right? And it turns out his school was putting potatoes in the soup they were giving him. And he and I are both reactive to those. So he was coming home every night going, daddy, my neck really hurts. Can you rub it for me? So every night for like three months before bed, I'd rub his neck. And finally, like, this can't be right. He's, you know, eight years old. Yeah. Like, what's going on? So I did some digging and found out. And so we got him to get soup with no potatoes in it. And the pain went away. I know, because I had that neck pain my entire life till I was oh, like 35. Wow. wow. It was just a normal part of like, right to my shoulder blades, all up my neck, just knotted muscles. And it's a genetic thing, right? So we took him off those and it doesn't hurt anymore. And so he goes to restaurants and he's like, I'm not eating that. Because yeah. he knows. And so just understanding cause and effect. But the story that I was told when I was that age and older was, look, what you eat is just calories. 
and it's how effectively you burn them. And we're just like a little a little steam engine or something. Yeah, and calories in versus calories out. If you believe that, the conversation I had with him was impossible. Right. And you just you deal with the symptoms because clearly if it's not anything other than calories, then it's a moral failing. There's yeah. there's nothing else yeah. left. Or maybe maybe you have an infection. Right. right? And it, it was that mindset that was most toxic for me. And I didn't want to give that to my kids. It's like, hey, you're in charge. Um, when I know. started this journey, you know, I, I was realizing the first thing I had to do was just get rid of all the processed crap. And, mm-hmm. and I had to start fueling my body. I had to start, I had to look at fat, you know, and, and that's really how I discovered what it is that you do and listen to countless episodes and experts. And, you know, you oftentimes would be the person who would introduce me to people in science. And so I want to say thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. That's for that. An honor. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it just also, I think that we're so placated to like, we're treated like we're just too dumb to figure it out. So here's a meal plan. People are pretty smart. Yeah, They're really smart. And, you know, listening to your podcast and realizing like, God, this is, this guy's like really popular and he's not talking down to anyone. Like this is stuff where you've got to, you've got to take copious notes when you're listening to one of your podcasts and look things up and practice pronouncing those words. And, <laughs> you know, and I can't believe the number of listeners, like we get a couple of million downloads a month now and crazy. more than a hundred million shows, Yeah, but it just shows people are interested in going a little bit beyond the Reader's Digest version, right? That's right. Yeah. So I, you know, I first started like returning to whole foods and eating all these unprocessed natural foods and, wow. and I was still having like major gut problems and, and, um, I'm like, you know, what is going on? I had to keep doing testing and testing and testing before I realized that some of the really healthy foods I was eating were inflammatory for me. Yes, exactly. And and that to me was like, okay. And we were in the middle of kind of like, how do we teach, how do we get people excited about learning about their bodies? How do we get people excited to do the work and not just say, here's a meal plan, yeah. right? How do we get people to realize that, you know, this is going to have to be customized and personalized and it's going to change because your gut health is going to change and you're you know, different seasons of your life and stress and all these things that all that affects your health. And so you have to you've got to be nimble and you've got to change things up. How do we do that? And at the time we were creating this like, you know, really exhaustive list of inflammatory foods and anti-inflammatory foods. And I just had to say, ah, we've got to put on the brakes because these foods that we're calling inflammatory might not be inflammatory for people. Yes. And these foods that we're saying are anti-inflammatory, that might be causing a lot of people inflammation. So, you know, and and people, that's hard for people to understand because they're like, well, well, wait. They want to put you on the stand. Like, wait, I thought you, isn't this inflammatory? So-and-so says this is inflammatory. It's like, again, the answer is it depends. Yeah. And dose matters too. Like kale is one of my favorite things because- Roughly, uh, you were just with our friend Naveen from yeah. Biome, and I've been saying this for many years. It was in my my very first diet book, but a lot of people cannot digest the plant defense systems in kale, and they're not lectins. They're, it's oxalic acid, and it causes vulvodynia, which is like really painful crystals that form in the vulva. Ooh. You really don't want that. And it can cause even autism. They're doing some research around oxalic acid as a trigger for inflammation in the brain that can cause autism-like symptoms and joints and kidney stones and all this. Yet 
roughly 60% of people probably can digest kale if they don't eat too much or if it's cooked differently. Mm. So is kale good or bad? <laughs> right? Well, if you ask my husband, it is, it's salad garnish, you know, it's oh. but the stuff they put on the outside of the salad bar. But even I remember when he used to say like, it's horrible. I hate it. Like, absolutely. It's not good for you. <laughs> my husband would say that because it wasn't good for him. And this is at the beginning of my journey. I'm like, you can't say that. That's going to offend everybody. But now I know, and you mentioned Viome, um, you know, it was doing that testing that I discovered a food that it was a regular part of my diet, which was uh, quinoa. Oh, yeah. That stuff wrecks a lot of people. Yeah. And I had no idea. Like, literally, I was having it for two meals a day. Yeah. And I would have never known because that's not on anyone's, at the time, wasn't on anyone's yeah. inflammatory list. And, and, and so many other things, cucumber. For mm -hmm. me. Oh, is that yeah. one thing yeah. that offends you? Yeah. I find that most people have a cucumber problem. They know they burp from it a lot, so that they, they tend to know. Yeah. But the the concept of lectins, these plant defense systems, it's one of the four categories that I put in the Bulletproof Diet. But even then, the number of people who have a problem with nightshades and grains and legumes is higher than the people who have a problem with, uh, say, cucumbers. Right, so I'm like, I'm going to stack rank these things. I'm going to put cashews in my bars, even though they're legume, because they're heated and they throw away the shell. That's right. So few people react to the inside on that. But to to go through those and realize not everyone is going to deal with everything the same way. That's the hard part. Why do people get so angry about that? You know, it's because they think it's a moral judgment. Oh, right. Yeah. So if you eat this food, you're bad. And if you're bad, then you know they they just stop thinking, yep. right? And it yeah. it's like mom's yelling at me, kind of kind of behavior. It's, it's like you've attacked their um, their identity, yeah, yeah, their character, yeah. right? If you're the kind of person who eats that, and I haven't found like a parenting habit that most parents have that makes food such a thing. So I when I see that, I revert to uh, mitochondrial behaviors. Mm -hmm. This is the whole headstrong thing. So if you look at where the most of our energy goes it's into things that might kill us right now. So that gets, you know, I'm just making up a number, but that's gonna get 70% you know, of our of our attention and we're gonna remember negative things 10 times more than positive things mm. because they're things that might've killed us. Mm -hmm. So that's fear. And that's the first thing is mm. don't die right now. Yeah. The second thing that everything, even a bacteria does, is don't starve to death. Because throughout all of history, famines have killed every life form over and over and over. So don't get eaten, and then don't forget to eat, right? Well, okay, that's the second thing. So in your mind, you look at that little voice in your head, the stuff that Daniel Amon called the automatic negative thoughts. Okay, the first ones are, will I be kicked out of the tribe? Because by the way, that's death for most of, most of human history, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And is there something threatening? Okay, is that car going to hit me, et cetera? And then what's for lunch? And when you get rid of the fear stuff and you get rid of the food stuff, Man, all that's left is, should I have sex with that person? Procreation. Right? Okay. And then if you can kind of dim those, either by actual procreating or at least, you know, getting some, <laughs> what's left is that fourth F word, which is like friend and community and like form a system and support people. But I think it's the reason, it's a long answer to your question. I think it's because it's the second F word. It's right after not being killed right now is eat. And if you tell someone that you're eating the wrong way, you're telling them that something about their survival and, and yeah. that triggers all the defensiveness. I, it's and the only identity, I can think of. Like you're saying yeah. something about me. I remember that. I remember anytime I put, even today, if I post anything about food, mm -hmm. you know, people come at you and they want to tell you their opinion. And, um, you know, the food police 
jump down your throat and get into word wars. And and there are times when I, whenever I, I say that, I'm like, you know, why, why does that trigger me? Why does that upset me? Why do I, why do I need to prove to that person that they're wrong? I don't. Yeah. Right. But the, it still triggers something in me. And I think it's because are they saying something about me? Are they saying that I'm not intelligent, that I haven't done my research? You yeah. Know? And so I get it. I understand that people are fiercely protective of their identity, A, and B, what you said about tribe. Like mm -hmm. people love to say, I am fill in the blank diet. Mm -hmm. And I just caution people not to do that because once you have labeled yourself as having a particular diet, you know, then it, it means that you've removed any ability <laughs> to like, you know, personalize it or to change yeah. seasons or to phase your diet, which is a, you know, a really oh, important yeah. piece or, of the one just continue one. evolving. It stops your evolution. Yeah. So, so I, I was in the car with the kids the other day and, and something came up in a conversation and uh, my son Alan goes, daddy, what's a flexitarian? <laughs> and, and I looked at him and I said, someone with no standards. And we just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. You're going to get the letters. Oops. Uh, but okay, here's the, oh, I'm, I'm vegan. I don't really know why, but uh, when it's not convenient, I just eat garbage. And you're like, good for you. Yeah. Right. But why you need an identity and a tribe around that? I don't know. Because isn't that what most people have been throughout human history? I just eat what's around. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but putting a name on it makes you feel all good. And, and I, I go into restaurants now and I go, excuse me, do you have a vegan free menu? <laughs> and that's not, a mind f nine out of ten times immediately they go oh we have a and then they look at me and they start laughing because they're so, so tired of this yeah right but then again, i might have to steal that you can steal that but then i'm the guy who goes i'm like look i don't want any gluten and i don't want canola oil because that stuff is garbage and i don't want any nightshade so cook my vegetables in butter if you're going to please and don't put red pepper flakes on them and i order exactly what i want yeah and you know, they used to, 20 years ago, if you did that, they, they'd get all mad or the shuffle would come out, how dare you? Yeah. And no, it's like, excuse me, I'm eating for how I'm going to feel. Yeah. And I'd like it to taste good. But and I'm going to tip well. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to pay, pay for this extra avocado. Sure. Two bucks. You got it, man. <laughs> but I'm just happy you can do that today because you yeah. couldn't before. And not in all areas. We're pretty lucky where we live, right? Um, you know what? You travel a lot, too. <laughs> there are places where you go and you're like, holy cow, I've, I've got a lot of privilege Oh, yeah. Health privilege almost, you know, because you go to certain areas and you're like, how how are we going to find something that's not processed unless we're going to walk out into the woods? I, I was in Alaska fishing with a bunch of friends last week and we went to this restaurant before we went off to the lodge. And I'm like, I don't know, I'll get this. It was a smoked salmon thing. I said, Do you have any like blueberries? I figured they might grow in Alaska or avocados or something. The guy looks at me and goes, Look, man, this is a greasy spoon. <laughs> like, all right, I'll, I'll own that. But you're right. There are food deserts where there's yeah. there's really little you can do. Oh. And the one thing that makes me happy though is even in most of those areas, if there's any grocery store, there's grass fed butter. The Kerrygold butter is widely distributed. Mm -hmm. And for three bucks, for like a pound of butter, it is one of the cheapest calories out there on par with rice. So people are saying, you can't do this. Like, look, if I was in college, I'd be doing white rice cooked and cooled to get resistant starch and put some butter on there and have a couple eggs, right? You can pull it off unless yeah. you're allergic to eggs, in which case you're screwed. Right. So, but I just feel like there's always a way, Yeah. but you might be short on veggies. It might not be perfect. Yeah. But at least well, you've got to be educated too, yeah. right? Because if you're listening to common pop culture and what they're telling you is healthy you just you just get it's so confusing and i do have to say it's hard for people because they get it from so many different angles mm -hmm. and so much of it's conflicting because it is conflicting 
it is conflicting. And I feel like you've done a good job of telling people it's okay that it's conflicting because you have to figure out, figure out what works for you. Um, what else in the 131 method has like pissed off your yeah. fitness competitors the most? Well, probably the first thing was that I, I told my publisher I, I wanted to, they're like, you know, we really want something healthy on the cover. And I said, well, I, I'd like to have chocolate and wine and a salad. And they're like, wine on the cover of a you know, health that's, book? That's brilliant. And I said, yeah, you know why? Because if you if you know how your body processes it, and if you find, if you do your research and actually understand how wine domestically is made, yeah. then you know you probably don't want most domestic wines. And, and you can find really high quality um, spirits mm -hmm. that are not going to mess up your your sugar levels and aren't going to make you feel like you've got hit by a Mack truck. And, and so I want a couple of things. I wanted people to know, like just about anything you want, there's probably a healthy way for you to find it. Number one, number two is no rules. Like the only rules are your rules. That's mm -hmm. what really. And so the other thing that really makes people mad in this book is that I, I don't think there is one exercise program that everybody needs to do. And frankly, a lot of people would, have tremendous benefits if they gave their body permission to rest. Oh, oh my goodness. It's almost like you could start a whole company on recovery. Oh wait, that's Upgrade Labs. <laughs> <laughs> but I was beating the crap out of myself when I was doing that six days a week, an hour and a half a day. Mm. And I see this a lot in CEOs. I don't know if you you do stuff like whether you're working with uh, different types of clients or you do mm -hmm, any one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one stuff lately. But I don't do a lot of that lately either. But about three years ago or up till about three years ago, I was still doing one-on-one you know, -on -one coaching with, with people, usually executive types who were saying, you know, I want to perform better cognitively, physically. And these guys would call and like, look, I run a hedge fund and I'm doing the Kona Ironman and I want to do it in ketosis. And I'm dating six women on four continents <laughs> on my airplane. And you're just like, holy crap, dude, let me, let me just guess your hair is falling out. You can't sleep at night. You can't get it up in the morning. Uh, and you're getting sick all the time. And like, how did you know? <laughs> it's called overtraining. It's Wired and tired, hard. yeah. Yeah and, yeah, and like maybe you need to sleep more, yeah. right? And maybe doing a CEO job, which is an enormous amount of work as a company grows, yes. and and doing an Ironman at the same time is just a bad idea. Right. Right, and like it's okay. Just But we so like, celebrate busyness and yeah. you know just that go, 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 hustle, hustle mentality. And I was there. I oh, yeah. felt incredibly guilty if I slept, for six hours, that was me being lazy. You know, I, I was sustaining myself on four and a half, five hours of sleep. We're building these companies. And and in order for me to exercise and not have it and to fit in that many hours, as I told mm -hmm. you, I had to start early. You know, so I had to wake up every day at 4.30. And, and I just did. My alarm went off. I got up and it never, I, I never thought, boy, it would be healthier for me to sleep in an hour. I always thought I better get up if I want to be healthy. I better get up no matter how little sleep I've had. And it didn't dawn on me the damage I was doing to my brain and how that isn't health. Mm -hmm. That that was abuse. You know, and I would and people were looking at me and I was sharing my daily routines and and telling other people to do this and I was never telling people how many hours I was exercising because I was embarrassed by that. I thought I was wow. broken, you know. And so and also the marketing behind most of my programs is 30 minutes a day. 40 minute workouts. And I, it wasn't that I was lying. I just be believed 
well, that is true for other people, but I, not for me. I'm broken. Like my metabolism's messed up. Wow. So I never wanted anyone to find that out. It was like a dirty little secret. Like, because then they would kick me out of the club. Then I wouldn't right. be a fitness professional. I'd be like, oh. That imposter syndrome. Yes. Like if I admit I need more exercise than the next person, knowing it's individual and you really needed more sleep. Wow. Yeah. It, it's such a trap. Tell me about women in keto in your new book. Mm. Well, you know, I think that it's it's difficult, especially for women of my age who we've spent 12, 15 years being convinced that fat means you will get fat. You know, I remember the first episode I listened to of your podcast <laughs> and hearing about this concept of adding healthy fats. And I'm like, how can fat be healthy? Won't that yeah. make you fat? Totally and, doesn't make sense. And adding butter to your coffee. Are you like, I literally would joke about like, are you kidding me? And oil, <laughs> you know, now it's breakfast every day, right? You know? Oh, we do our bulletproof that's such an coffee. Honor that you would even try it. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we live on it. And uh, it's a part of the book. Um, so, the first step is helping people to understand what it means, um, how it can help you. And really, for me, it's not just telling people like, here's a lifestyle. It's understanding that there are ranges of keto and there's yes. mild ketosis and there's phasing in and out of ketosis. And, and for some people, it might be staying there steady. If you're, you know, got some type of uh, cognitive function that you're really trying to heal, it might make sense for you to be deep in ketosis. And for other people, you factor in those four S's and you can't stay sane, perhaps staying in deep ketosis, but maybe to phase in not a mild ketosis. So there isn't a set prescription, but one, so there's three phases in the book. And the first phase is I'm teaching people what that feels like. Mm -hmm. So you can figure out, do you want to be in mild, deep into ketosis? Do you want to do this from time to time? I do you know, based on what we know today, believe it is incredibly beneficial from every aspect um, to at least be in a mild state most yeah. of the time. And I think a lot of people need to phase out of it. I also think it's really unhealthy for some people because they take it too far. Yeah, I, I've i been giving this talk lately about dirty keto. Mm, and, again, and have yeah. this, sign, this idea of like the keto bro. It's like, dude, my ketones are bigger than yours. And it's sort of like saying my blood glucose is higher than yours. That might not be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, right. So the fact that your body can't process ketones because you're not metabolically flexible, that's why you have high ketones or because you're taking a bunch of probably not bioidentical ketones. Uh, that's pretty much like taking stinger packs, but those are fat instead of sugar. I, I don't know. Stinger packs are like the sugar packs you use on a triathlon to get oh, more okay. sugar in faster. And, and so I'm just like, the, the deal is, the levels that matter are 0.3 and 0.5 millimole. Those are the ones that affect hunger, that affect the set point. And I get my levels there just about every day with what yeah. I put in my coffee in the morning. Yeah. And I can use it on a blood stick test and it's usually there. So given that, yeah, you might want to go more, but I'm much happier if yeah. I get some carbs. Yeah. And sure, I'll fast for two or four days or I'll go on zero carbs for a little while. But if you want to get stuck there forever, women will break before men. So I, I love it that you're telling people, like, find the one that works for you and that you're calling it out specifically for women. Because yeah. it kind of scares me when I, I, I meet women who are saying, I've been in ketosis for eight weeks. I'm like, how's your sleep? Like, are, you, are your yeah. hormone cycles the way they right. did before? And they're like, actually, come to think of it, yeah, I'm not dreaming anymore. And like, yeah, you're, you're kind of not doing well. Do you, do you have a ring to track your sleep? Because if you do you're going to notice that it's not working for you because the same thing happened to me. It just takes longer for guys. Right. You know, and and one thing that's really frustrating 
um, if I can be honest, is that this teaches people over the course of 12 weeks how to phase their diet, right? In the first phase, we do talk about what it means to be in ketosis, but it's not a keto diet. But statistically speaking, people will only spend about five weeks, based on our research, five, six weeks of following a plan, and then they fall off. So, you know, the second phase of the one through one method is is very much plant based. And the third phase is what I call macro phasing, where you're you're kind of alternating days. And I will hear people say, well, isn't that a keto diet? I'm like, you know, I know you only you made it to that mark. You made it to that four week Mm -hmm. mark. Right. Um, and, And it is really important for people to not fear phasing and testing to see what makes them feel their best. You know, I do a um, a three-day business conference in Southern California where, you know, it's kind of a one-woman show. I mean, I have other speakers too. your Smart Life one? Uh, another one, very okay. similar. It's called Marketing Impact Academy. And um, I've got to be super focused. And I've got to, you know, I've got to memorize days and days worth of content and all. And, and it's always stressful. And I never sleep well. And I never eat well. And I pack all these foods. And and um, my feet hurt, my back hurts, and I, I'm, I'm an introvert, an outgoing introvert. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just feel drained it's every hard day. It's worked on a three-day conference. It I, is. I do one every year with Bulletproof, and oh my God, you're you're done. Have you that. fasted through one? I have not fasted through one. Did you? Game changer. That's pretty, Dude. that's nuts. And I, I, I thought, this is kind of crazy, but I'm going to do it, and I'll bring food just in case, but... My husband will tell you, it was insane. It was like, I, I had all my synopses firing and my feet didn't hurt and I could take in people and I could be present and I slept well. Wow. All of these crazy things. Now, of course, the it's not an audience of biohackers, so I couldn't really tell them what was going on. I don't think they necessarily understand. They probably think that I was doing it to, you know, look thin or something, right. but I was doing it for my brain yes. I want, and my energy. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine, uh, another podcaster, Pat Flynn, um, I just told him, um, he's got his first conference coming up. I'm like, dude, you got to fast through it. Wow. I I always tell people that, look, if you're doing something that's really uh, physiologically demanding, uh, that's enough stress. And that fasting is a form of stress. But see, you're fat adapted. Yes. Which means you can do it. So I would have no problem. uh, For me, I would probably want to do Bulletproof Coffee just for the extra energy for the neurons to fire, totally. uh, which isn't, you know, it depends. There's this bulletproof intermittent fasting where you have coffee with zero carbs and zero protein. Your insulin will not move one notch, according to some third-party people who did a study on it. So I'm going to count that in the universe of fasting. and Autophagy still happens, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, but if you want to do it you know, on a water fast. Or no, just and I, to be clear, I wasn't doing a water fast. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. No. That's what I thought. I was like, no, okay, no. so you did tea and black coffee? I, I did bulletproof. Oh, oh, okay. Got yep. it. So you had the calories to get through, but you were, so you kept your blood sugar. Okay. Yeah. Now I was like, okay. Yeah. I thought your cortisol was going to go wonky. Your blood sugar was going to have to crash. And by no. And, and that's oh, something okay. I talk about in the book is that there are different levels of fasting. Yes. Right. There like, are. I mean, you look it's like at a, it's a fat fast, basically. With the basically. Right fats. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in fact, that's what I, I call it. Okay. Um, and you look at like even the stuff that Dr. Longo's doing where his people are, you know, they're actually eating yeah. food and, um, and food with some carbohydrates in it too. You know, it was funny. Um, I've, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm married to a, a Carolyn's good trained doctor. Uh, she's wonderful. And she does a lot of the biohacking stuff, uh, but she doesn't do everything. 
And she's just never been that attracted to fasting. But over the last six months, she's like, you know, I'm just going to do more other than just intermittent fasting, which she liked. So two weeks ago, she decided when I was on a trip, she was going to do a four-day water fast. Well, she would do matcha and coffee, but without oil in it, other than maybe a little brain octane the first day. So she's doing this. Uh, and then I come home and she says, I totally did four days. I feel so amazing. Like I kept the fat in the right areas and went away from the inflammation. Like I, I'm really liking this. I can't believe I haven't done this before. And then the kids look at her and say, mommy, you had a half a bite of ice cream on your third day. You were on <laughs> ice cream fast. <laughs> and Busted. <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. Joys of kids. But, but you know, even with the fasting, yeah. I make a really important, uh, I talk about the different types of fast, A, B, you have to prepare your body. You yeah. have to get it ready. You People do. hear us talking about this and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to try that. Do Don't. fast is big. Yeah. Do a yeah. couple one day fast first, right? Yeah. There's, you know, learn to get fat adapted first yeah. and then it's a breeze and there's nothing difficult about it. Number one. And number two is not all populations are safe yeah. to fast. And especially those who are, um, they have a propensity or a, they lean towards obsession. Yeah, it can become super unhealthy. And my, my point with a little scoop of, or not scoop, a little bite mm -hmm. of ice cream is that it didn't affect her fast at all because right. it's like Walter Longo's stuff, um, you know, where you don't have to be so perfect. But um, a lot of people were accusing uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, from the CEO of Twitter. He was like, look, I'm doing, oh man, you one meal a day. And um, Jack and I have tweeted about Bulletproof Coffee like, going back for years and all. Uh, I was like so amazed the first time. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. That's amazing. And, uh, and so, and I just had a chance to email him recently about it. Uh, but in the press, they're like, this, the CEO is only eating one meal a day. He's starving himself. He has an eating disorder. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm kind of yeah. sure the guy's CEO of two companies and he's kicking your ass and he's doing what works for him and he feels good. And you know, when some, you know, business press persons like, you know, throws around eating disorder, things like that, there are the people who will fast to obsession. There are orthorexic people out there. There are also people who found out what works for them. And if they're healthy and they're doing well and they feel yes. good. Yes. But, okay. And there are people who are eating six times a day as, as I was mm -hmm. and destroying my health. And of those six times I was eating per day, uh, none of it had any nutrient density. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it's, we just can't judge other people based on how often they're eating. You really have to look at what are you doing yep. as a lifestyle where, and, and all of us need to factor in far more than, and that's my mission. My mission is to teach people that health is not something that is easily photographed on Instagram. So, so if you were using the one through one method line of thinking, and you were to look at someone like Jack Dorsey, for instance, how would you know whether that is, you know, a, a healthy, like I'm following the four S's, I'm mm -hmm, doing mm -hmm. science, et cetera, mm -hmm. versus this is one of those people who you know, fasting is unhealthy. There are a population that tends to get obsessed. Yeah. Like, how would you know? And how would someone listening to the show know, am I one of those obsessive people or am yeah. I a healthy yeah. person? I think um, personally, when, when it becomes all consuming, it's all you can think about. Um, if you're not doing it exactly, you feel like you failed you feel you're obsessing about it. Um, it's controlling your thoughts, your behaviors, your decisions, time with family. You're, you are missing out on things. It, it's taking over your life. Then, yeah, I mean, we're talking about an obsession and that can be both healthy and unhealthy. 
you know, orthorexia is a real thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it can very easily slip into disordered eating. But what is disordered eating too, right? Like Six meals a day and lots of carbs. Man, right. Yeah. So like that's a term I, I, <laughs> I take issue with because it's like, well, who, who's setting yeah. the order? Yeah, who defines order, right? Oh, I know the, the government grain pyramid. I, I'm sorry, food pyramid. I, I, I named it wrong. <laughs> or, or my favorite, the British Diabetics. I'm oh, sorry, they call themselves Dietetic Society, but they cause diabetes with the recommendations. Perfect. They should be called the British Diabetic Society. I don't know why they're named wrong. But like these are the people out there yeah. still in the face of mountains of evidence Telling you and me and everyone listening to do the crap that broke your health and made me weigh 300 pounds. Yeah. And they don't even feel guilt about it. I don't understand that. No. And, and, you know, so many of our chronic diseases, if we would just realize we could fix it with, with food, start yeah. with food, or maybe but just, it's deeper than that. Yeah, just put down the fork for eight hours and see what happens. Oh my God. <laughs> like when, you know, all these things I would go to the doctor for, I never had a doctor ask me how much sleep I was getting. I never had a doctor ask me. Um, what my stress level was or what I was eating. Never. Yeah. And that is something that I feel is changing. The functional medicine doctors, they're coming out. You have to find the right one. Right, but it's not covered by insurance. No. So not, it's such a, it's like health, health is a white privilege. That's a that's a big statement. I mean, I know lots of people aren't white who totally own themselves. I mean, you, you go to the Bulletproof Conference, but, that is not a white conference. Right, but what I'm saying is you we have to recognize that there is a health privilege and it comes with money. Oh, it is difficult. It's for, a wealth privilege. Wealth yes. privilege, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But I, I know I'm from Silicon it's Valley. It's so much harder. There, there's probably more more wealthy Indian and Chinese entrepreneurs yeah. than white entrepreneurs where I'm Just from. left one. <laughs> yeah, Naveen's a good example. Yeah. Um, but... There's a hundred percent certainty that the number one predictor of whether you'll be fat or thin is economic, mm. right? If you're from an impoverished area or from a family with lower income, your odds of being obese go up dramatically, and it's yeah. more predictive than anything yeah. else. More predictive than race, more predictive than like trauma in your life. It's it's crazy. I recently talked about um, trying to uh, heal. Um, Epstein-Barr virus. Like I, I have a, a an outbreak mm-hmm. of that every once in a while and, and talking about things I'm doing to to keep it in check, right? And I went through all of the things that I do. Um, okay, I've got to get serious about my sleep again. I've got to pay attention to my stress, the way I'm right. scheduling my work. It's all those things. And I also said I'm doing hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments and I'm doing uh, glutathione. And I got a lot of angry responses from people saying, well, that's great, but the average person can't afford to do that. And I said, that's a, that's a problem. Like, th- but that's, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't tell you that these things are out there because there are those individuals who are going to prioritize doing this. And I listed, you know, five things you can do that are free, mm-hmm. but it is, it does upset me that so that the, the insurance industry, the healthcare industry isn't at all interested in health. It. It drives me nuts. And also this idea that, oh, you can't talk about it because it's expensive. Here's what happens. And this is- You must get that. I get it all the time. But here's the deal. Do you remember cell phones uh, maybe 25 years ago? So if you had one of those Mercedes, like 500 Ds, whatever, the whole trunk of it was, <laughs> uh, this is in the mid 80s, the whole yeah. trunk of it is your cell phone. And you have this big antenna on top and you have this giant thing on your face and you're driving down and it's $25 uh, a minute to use this thing. And everyone sees you going, oh my God, what a jerk. You know, who does this person think they're on the phone while they're driving? 
And it was $40,000 get up in your car. Look at the world we live in today. Wow. It, it, those things have changed the yeah. world. And yeah. this is probably in, what, 50% of my lifetime? Right. Right. So keep pushing. when demand happens for stuff that works, yeah. the industry will respond. And when people stop buying crap at the grocery store, you know what will happen? The companies will replace it with stuff that's less crappy. It won't be perfect. It'll just be better. Right. And I've been sort of a little bit negative historically on that, you know, like these big companies don't care, but I've had a chance and you probably have two over the course of your career. I've met the CEOs of the big food companies. Um, I sat down with, you know, the, the former CEO of Pepsi and you know what it is universal about these people. Most of them have kids. All of them want to make the world a better place. And they're all saying, how can I sell healthier stuff at mm. prices that people will pay? Yeah. Right. And they want to do it. They desperately want to do it. Some of them have mm. no clue what health means. Like their assumptions are wrong, but there are no like big, bad, evil. Like uh, we're going to make people sick. Like let's add some cadmium to that. You know, like there's yeah. no, there's no That's bad people. Yeah. They want to do it. Some of them are just Demand. completely wrong. But if you and me don't do our job to tell people, look, this stuff is $7 right now and it should be $3 and you shouldn't even be doing the other thing. It'll be $3 in three years. But if we don't do our job, no one will ever know. And, and so, yes, my job is to make everything I talk about almost free. It's just going to take a few years, right? That's encouraging. I, I feel... That's a really positive outlook on that, and I, I'll adopt it. I I just, I would, I would think about that. The other thing to think about, it's entirely unrelated uh, to this, except you talked about Epstein virus. Mm -hmm. You know how expensive antiviral agents are, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know about BHT? No. So BHT, butylated hydroxytoluene, oh. is a food preservative that's been I have soundly beat up. It's funny, though, in the 80s and 90s, it's one of the earlier tested and well-tested anti-aging substances because it's a synthetic antioxidant. It just so happens that chickenpox, herpes, and EBV are all lipid-encapsulated viruses, and BHT, which will cost you about one penny, maybe five cents, to take uh, will inhibit the ability for these viruses to replicate. People who have a herpes outbreak, take it. Within about three days, it usually goes away. Shingles, totally. Wow. Now, why is it that we have people spending $1,000 on antiviral treatments when yeah. they haven't used the 10 cent one? Yeah, what? what? Lack of knowledge. Yeah. No one told you. Sure. Right? And so there, we just shared that with however many hundreds of thousands of people are going to hear this. And where do they find it? You can buy it on Amazon. It's BHT, as in like berries, hydro, I don't know, what's the T stand for? Uh, time. I, time, there you go. Uh, but uh, I actually have used that for a long time. Wow. And so you get, you know, the cold sores and all that stuff. And people say, oh, it might be dangerous. Yeah, if you take 50% of your body weight or something, but we're talking about a small dose. One of my good friends, guys, been on the show, wrote a book about this 30 years ago. And it, the knowledge has been out there, but it's not evenly distributed. So your job and what you're doing in one through one yeah. method, just get the knowledge out there. And if people say it's too expensive, like, you know what's expensive? Not dying. Right. Like, do your best. Right. that's okay. Being sick is expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you because- That's hey, amazing. Thank you. you. I have to update my audience. And, well, you'll share it with your audience, right? For sure. Yeah. And do some Googling. You'll find it out there. Now, I have one more question for you at the end of our, of our episode here. And this has to do with my next book, which is on anti-aging. And it's called Superhuman. It just hit the pre-sales thing. It's exciting. Now, I've been really public in that men's health uh, article where I was afraid to take my shirt off about living to at least 180 years old. 
How long do you want to live? I've heard you say that many times, and I always think 180. Do I want to be 180? And and I don't know that I've given it a number, right? Um, I know I'm going to be 100, at least. And I think I think 120 sounds nice, but I it's also quality of life, right? So I, I don't know what condition I'll be in by then. We haven't seen people do that. So as long as your quality is good, you're up for at Heck least yeah, if my quality of life is good. For sure. I, I think quality of life is really important. Oh, and yeah. if, if at 150, Dave, you are just being wheeled around and you're blind and you're deaf and you need assistance to do a lot of just normal bodily functions. Yes. Do you still want to live to be 180? No. The, the, real, the real answer is I would like to die at a time and by a method of my choosing. Mm. And, and that's really anti-aging in a nutshell. I just think that 180 is a pretty reasonable for someone in my condition with my history and my access to good quality food and clean air and whatever. Uh, and knowing all the science that's coming and not science that oh, is mystical in the future, but stuff that's been under development for 20 and 30 years that's coming to fruition now. When we're looking at the the genes of yeah. centenarians and- like we're, we're going to do some crazy stuff. So I think that at 180, the deal is I should be driving I should be able to walk under my own power and like I should be able to function as a, as a contributing member of society. That's the goal. What is the oldest person we know right now on record? Well, there are people in their 120s who are well-documented. Wow. And the problem is getting above that, it's pretty rough because I mean, what kind of birth certificates were there 180 years ago? For sure. I have on my nightstand a book about a guy who was allegedly 185. And it's written by the son or grandson of the guy's caretaker in India. And it's got a huge amount of detail in it. So maybe the whole thing's fiction. Maybe he just said 185, it was really 165. <laughs> this guy was older than 120. Wow. And so you look back through historical stuff, and you have to go back to history to find someone who's that old. Yeah. Right. So I just know we can do 120 because we have hard evidence of that. And if we can't do 50% better in the next 100 years of my life, come on. Like, yeah. then we failed as scientists. Well, it's audacious. And I think, you know, so was the four minute mile. It, it was. So, you know, I, I hope you'll join me in being highly functional after 100. And that's we'll that's throw a party. Uh, count on it. Shalene Johnson, your website is 131method.com, same as the name of your new book. Thank yeah. you for sharing with your massive audience all the things you're doing and for taking time to come on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a disruptor. Thanks for leading the way. Super grateful to be here. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Check out the one through one method. It is really cool stuff. And the idea that you don't have to be perfect, it's actually real. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.